Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. Good morning, church. Good morning. Let's, uh, let's start with reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is our text for the month. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, And if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you this morning um, as your people, and we ask, God, that you would fill us with your love. That you would fill us anew with your love, God, that you would show us, God, what love looks like. God, that you would equip us and and enable us to be your people, bearers of your love. We thank you, God, for the work that you've started and know that you will not leave us alone until you've finished it. We have great hope, great hope that we will see your love in our midst and in our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, We've been centering our services on 1 Corinthians chapter 13 um, about love. So how important is love? I wanted to actually start in 1 John. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 4. To hear, um, so we're going to focus on 1 Corinthians 13 from Paul, but I want to hear from John also. Because he says some really awesome things about love. 1 John 4, and we'll start in verse 7. John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who doesn't love does not know God, for God is love. And then in verse 16, he says that, The one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. 
And then in verse 19, John says, we love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he's seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. So how important is love? Love is, love is uh, ultimately important. Um, and for, for us to know God, we, we, we have to encounter him through the love that he's shown us. And that love transforms us and it fills us. And, and for, for us to walk with God, we cannot but love others. And John, um, and John even says, you know, if you, if, if you think that you're walking with God, but you aren't loving, then you're mistaken. And so we've got to look back to God and to his love for us to really understand whether we're walking in love. Now, the way John says it here, it sounds like you, you might be confused. You might be um, confused about whether or not you know God. There were people that were confused and thought they knew God, but didn't because they weren't walking in love. So it's important that we understand love. And in the passage this morning, Paul gives us some examples about what it looks like practically to love. You know, John says that it's, it's easier for us to love God than to love people. You know, and I, I don't know, that, you know, maybe that's not the way we would maybe think of things. You know, we think, you know, people, you know, people, they're here, you know, easy to love. God requires an ultimate eternal commitment to change my life. And, but what John says is actually easier for us to love God because we don't see him and we can make him to be whomever we like. Um, and yet when we're confronted with the realities around us, um, it challenges who we are and, and what we hold to be important and requires on a daily basis for us to make a decision, multiple times a day, to make a decision about what's important to us and how we're going to act. And if we want to, we can think of God as not really requiring those daily decisions and sacrifices. Um, but John says if we think of God like that, we don't really know him. So when Brandon started the series, um, he brought up a bag. You remember? There's a bag right here. Um, and one of the things he brought out of it was the annoying uh, symbol to talk about how you know, spiritual activity um, without love isn't helpful and it's actually jarring. Um, but the other question that Brandon gave was what is in the bag? Like when we say love, when we talk about love, it's kind of like what John says here. When we talk about God, it's easy to get on the bandwagon. It's easy to say, yeah, I'm a fan of God. And same thing about love. I mean, we're preaching about love. I mean, what is there not to like about a sermon on love. And we're talking about love. It's like, who's on board with love? Raise your hand. 
I'm bored with love. Okay, who's pro-hate? Like, I just, I want to wake up with hate in my heart. So, you know, we've already won in terms of um, who's supportive of us growing in love. We all say yes. And the question is, well, then uh, why aren't we there? You know, why aren't we there? And I think it's important for us to recognize that God's call to love it is difficult call. I mean, it's it's not just that it just flows out of, you know, your morning coffee and then it's just like love happens because I'm a good person and I like love. But we need to understand that um, what's in the bag isn't necessarily just all the stuff we'd like to put in, in the bag of love. Uh, but, but God has defined for us love because God is love. God himself is love. And the way we understand what love is and requires is by looking to him and allowing him to fill us. So, let's start with that. Uh, still in, in 1 John uh, chapter 4, if you look at verses 9 and 10, um, John says, by this, the love of God was manifested in us. So, it was made visible. God's love was made visible in us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. So first, John says that love is defined by God's love in Jesus Christ. And again, I think we're probably still all on the same page when we say, what's the ultimate definition of love? And if we've been in the church, if we've been following God and and hearing um, Christian teaching, we probably would know that Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's love. But we still haven't got to a point where we can translate that into what my life ought to look like. Because certainly um, for for each of us, we're not called to, I live exactly the way that Jesus lived. I mean, we're not to, you know, necessarily all called to singleness. We're not all called to minister for three years and and then die on a cross. So We still have to get to what does it mean then for us who are called and filled with the love of God to reflect on and to be changed by the ultimate expression of love in Jesus Christ and um, his sacrifice for our sin. I'm reminded of uh, the other verse we all know um, from John when he said that God loved the world, so what did he do? He sent his only begotten son so that those who would believe in him would have eternal life. And we've heard that verse. And we know that God's love is tied to the manifestation of Jesus as the uh, propitiation for our sins. I, I, think, I think, though, as I was reflecting on, you know, how, how, do we, how do we get from a knowledge and appreciation of God's love and, and knowing that God's love is defined by the uh, coming of Christ and his sacrifice for us to an understanding of how do I walk? Like, what, what does that look like in my life? And what, what I thought was that I think, it's, I think it is good, and I, and I will attempt to explain maybe what that might look like practically, but I think that what happens is that God's love changes us. It's God's love, it, it, fill, it fills us up and it changes us. And, you know, I think, I think we can explain 
what it ought to look like when it does. And I think we can provide some common uh, guides for what it looks like when it's not there. But, but how do we actually walk in the love of God? And we've got to press in to, to God himself. And I, I just thought of um, Ephesians. If you, again, if you want to turn there, Ephesians uh, chapter 1. And I thought of how Paul started his letter to the church in Ephesus. And he just talked about love. He talked about the love of God. He said, blessed be the God, in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heavens and things on the earth. In him we have also obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory." So did you hear like all the things that Paul was like stuffing in this bag, (laughs) right? So he says that we've been forgiven. We've been made his people. We've been called his children. We've been uh, selected and elected by God himself. And he's given us his Holy Spirit and he's promised us that we will live with him forever. Oh, that those are the things that God has done because of his love. There's, There's a song that I, that, that I think of uh, when I think of the love of God. It's called, Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus. And it says, The deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, and free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. Underneath me, all around me, is the current of thy love, leading onward, leading homeward to thy glorious rest above. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, Love of every love the best. Tis an ocean full of blessing. Tis a haven giving rest. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Tis a heaven of heavens to me. And it lifts me up to glory, for it lifts me up to thee. And I just, I think of my my first answer to the question, how do we love? How do I love? And how do we as a church love? And, and it, it really is that we have to know the love of God. That, that, is, really, um, that is really it. So, you know, every, every, every uh, application... That comes, you know, every discussion about, you know, but, but how, you know, how do I love? Or this is hard to love. How do I do it? Um, all of those 
answers come out of us having a deep relationship with, uh, with, with God. And that's, that's how we know love, because God is love, and God showed us love through his son, and God has given us love in all of these ways. And it is good for us to meditate on and remember So, I think if we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where, where Paul is talking about what love looks like and why it's important, we need to remember that Paul has already laid a foundation in this church. His foundation in this church was not about the practical things that he's talking to them about in this letter. The foundation that he laid was not primarily about how spiritual gifts should work, wasn't primarily about how to take the Lord's Supper. The foundation that he laid was the foundation of God's love. And so when he's talking here, what he's doing is he's reminding them that given the foundation of God's love, you were called out of bondage to sin. And if you know what Corinth was like before they met Jesus, you know they were in bondage to egregious sin. And God, out of his love, pulled you out of that and he has filled you with his love. And I'm going to remind you here what that should look like, what that love should look like. So in verse 6, 6 and 7 are the, the, the focus verses for today. In verse 6, he says that love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. So God's, God's love here transforms what we rejoice in. So I don't know how many of you use the term rejoice outside of church world. Um, but if we used a different word, it might not completely be the same meaning. But I think, we, you know, the words we'd use would be, I'm really happy. That makes me happy. I'm glad. Uh, but, but rejoice does probably need to be in our vocabulary because I think what, what Paul's talking about here, the meaning here, is, is more than just, hey, I'm happy that that happened. But it does, it is, it is related to what makes us happy. So when, when Paul says that love doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, what he says is that with, with love, Unrighteousness doesn't make us happy. When we see unrighteousness, it, it doesn't make us happy. We, can, we can't rejoice in it. And on, on the other hand, when we see truth, when we see righteousness, when we see what is right, it does make us happy. We do rejoice in it. And so... How, so the question then would be this again, just just a reminder. This 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 is not a text that's given us a, a checklist checklist of things to go do. He's telling us that if if we're filled with the love of God, it will change what makes us happy. It, it will change how we respond to situations we encounter, whether we're pro or against whether we're smiling or whether we're sad when we see things. 
And, you know, Brandon um, brought up in the, in the first lesson that love is about our emotions. It, it's, you know, we, we do talk about love as will and duty, but love also is about our emotions. And how are we going to change our emotions? You know, how, how do I change what makes me happy? Is that, is that something that can be changed? And, um, and, I, and I have hope that it is something that can be changed because it's changed for me, it's changed for many of you, and it can continue to change so that the things that make God happy are the things that make us happy. And how do we know? How does that change? We've got to meditate on God's love for us and what are the things that make God happy. God's love transforms our joy You remember Jesus, um, our Lord, told a story about a shepherd who had 100 sheep. And you remember one of them ran off, got lost, maybe intentionally left. Anyway, he's lost. And, and And he asked, what will that shepherd do? The good shepherd who lost a sheep, what is he gonna do? Write him off? He doesn't write the sheep off. He leaves the 99. He goes out on a risky journey to go fetch, go find and fetch the lost sheep and bring it back. And what Jesus says is that when he finds that sheep and brings him back, he rejoices. And it it makes him happy. It makes him happy. This is, this is the type of story Jesus would tell to help us understand what are the things that make God happy? What are the things that we ought to be looking for so that we could rejoice with God, so that we can rejoice with him? And one of the things that makes God happy is when people come back to him. So, you know, when, when, we're, when we're making a kind of an inventory uh, in our own life, you know, what were the things that made me happy this week? Um, are we looking for opportunities and chances to rejoice with God in the lost coming back, the lost coming to him? Paul says um, that love rejoices in truth. Um, things that things that restore the lost sheep. Um, in the context of the letter that he's writing to Corinth, it's things that hold the flock together. Things that keep the flock together are things that God rejoices in, and if we are in God's love, we will rejoice in as well. So Paul gave several examples in this letter, in this very letter to Corinth about rejoicing and not rejoicing. So there were several things that he wrote about to this church that he rejoiced with them in and several things that even though they were rejoicing, he said, I do not rejoice with you. I choose not to rejoice with you. And I wanted to just go through a few of those. This is definitely not, we can't do a full study on the letter. It's a really long one. 
But to start off with, they had factions. They had... Um, they were looking at their spiritual pedigree based on who had baptized them or who was the one who shared the gospel with them, and they had divided the church and were kind of taking pride in who was the one, who was the guy, you know, who was my preacher kind of thing. And, and Paul said, no, this is no good. Stop. He said, stop. Because even though he has said, even Paul has written to honor your spiritual fathers, this is beginning to break apart the unity in the church. And it's not from God. God is not rejoicing in this, and you should not. There was sexual immorality in the church. And there was a case of sexual immorality that the church had taken pride in because they were so inclusive. The the grace of God is so great that it can cover this ongoing example of sexual immorality. And Paul said, no, no, that, yes, God's grace is great, but this is not something to rejoice in. There were issues, uh, disputes in the church. People were being offended and taking their lawsuits to the civil authorities. And Paul said, you should be ashamed of yourself. Where does wisdom come from? It comes from God. Where does justice come from? It comes from God. Who has God? You. Why do you need to go outside of the church for wisdom and justice? You're missing it. And by the way, we ought to follow the model of Christ, which is that when we're offended, we turn the other cheek. That, that's actually best. But if you need justice and you need wisdom, you should expect God to give it to you in the church. So I will not rejoice with you. He says you should be ashamed. And, and then um, Lee mentioned last week the example just before this in, in the letter where uh, Paul was um, talking about the way they were celebrating the Lord's Supper where people were bringing their own meals, and some people had great meals with luxurious food, and some people were hungry. And Paul said, I'm not going to rejoice with you about the way this is going. This is not good. You guys ought to be caring for each other, and you ought to be focused on the sacrifice of Christ when you share the Lord's Supper together. But if you read the entry to Paul's letter, and you read the end, you can also hear Paul rejoicing in what God has done in creating this church and pulling this church out of a place of spiritual darkness and in keeping the church through all of these disagreements and all of these problems. And Paul rejoices that God is at work among them. But Paul gives us a model to show that God's love leads us to rejoice in the things God rejoices in and to not rejoice in the things that God does not rejoice in, things that God calls to change. You know, often I think our joy and our mourning is probably based more on what the world might say. So, you know, 
when we think about, again, going back over this last week, remember all the smile points. What are all the smile points over this week? All the things that were like, oh, this is almost too good to be true. This was great. Where are those coming from? Where are those emotions coming from? Are those the things that God has taught us? I mean, I'm not suggesting that we're like 100% off. I'm just suggesting that we need as believers, as followers of the Lord, to hold up our emotions to him and ask him to give us a heart that rejoices in the things that he does. And I would say, it can seem difficult. You, you might read, you know, some of these arguments, maybe the church that Corinth had about why they were happy about these things. Hey, we're happy because God's grace is free and boundless. Is that good? Yeah, that's good. Hey, we're happy because, you know, we, we'd like to honor those who shared the Lord with us and taught us to follow him. But is that a good thing? Yeah, those are good things. God has given us a bounty and we want to celebrate with what he's given us. We want to celebrate the sacrifice of Christ at the Lord's Supper. Is it good to, to use the things God, give it, God has given us to celebrate for him? Yeah, it is. So how, how do we discern? How do we know what is actually something to rejoice in and what's not? And I was reminded of um, Romans 12, 1 and 2, which says that we're to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, for this is our spiritual act of worship. <clears throat> and not to be conformed to this world any longer, right? Not to have uh, the joys in our heart be defined by the world, but that our minds would be transformed. They would be renewed. And we'd be able to test and approve God's perfect will. So that's just what we're talking about, isn't it? That if we want to be able to know God's will, what it is that pleases him, it starts with us offering our body as a living sacrifice to him and to allow him to transform our mind. And the author of Hebrews says the same thing. You know, he says that we're able through constant practice with the word to discern between good and evil. So this is also one of the greatest places for us, I think, to meditate on the love of God is in the word is in the scriptures, is to, is to read and to remind ourselves, allow God to remind us of his love. So love doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. And, and my prayer would be that as a church, we would be asking God to um, give us joy and in, in, in joy in the things that he enjoys. And then in verse 7, <clears throat> Paul says love does four other things. He says that it bears all things. So bearing is uh, this idea of there's some force, there's some effort, there's some thing coming against and some effort that's needed. So when we love um, and we have um, a goal, we have a mission from God to love, that opposition does not lead us to give up. Oh, we, we fight through it. We don't give up. Uh, love believes all things. So this, this means mostly like good faith, that we have good faith. Um, well, what if our faith's been broken before? Are we expected to continue 
to show good faith, even if, even if others have been untrustworthy. And I think we look again to the example of Christ. I, I was thinking of Jesus in the garden. Do you remember when he was praying and he asked his disciples to pray with him? And if you'd read up to that point, you might have guessed they might not make it, but certainly after the first time they fall asleep, you're like, what, what is, what's going on here? Jesus goes back and says, can you, can you get up and pray some more? And they're like, sure, yeah, we got it. And he walks away, and we know, well, they're probably going to you know, go to sleep again. Jesus goes to pray. He's, he's battling in prayer, this important battle right before his crucifixion. And then he goes back just to check on them. Hey, guys, you pray again? So, you know, I think, I think of examples like that when I think of what does it mean to love? You know, what it means to love is that we expect that even if we haven't seen something before, even if we haven't seen faithfulness before, that we know God's powerful enough to produce faithfulness. And we will continue to go and operate in good faith with those that we love. Paul says that love uh, hopes, always hopes. So hope um, is a joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. And what does that mean that when we love, we have a joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation? This may be even harder than operating in good faith because this means that we believe that God can save and that God will save. We don't just believe that when we're with people who are evidencing great maturity in the faith, but we believe that always. We believe that God can save and his salvation is powerful enough to save anyone. Um, and then Paul says that it endures all things. So we, we bear all things, meaning we don't, we don't give up when something gets hard and endures talks about more duration. So how long will we bear all things? So how long do you think love endures? I know because when we say it, <laughs> we know we got to do it. So I know that's why it's quiet maybe. <laughs> but uh, I, was, I was talking to uh, Tesvei this week. Um, our brother in Ethiopia, and I asked him about this passage, and uh, and the thing that came to his mind was that the steadfast love of our God endures forever. So if if our definition of love comes from God, because God is love, and God fills us with His love, then love endures, and He didn't. Paul didn't say it, but I think he meant it. 
it endures forever. Because this is the love that God has. So forever means um, when things don't go well. Forever means after we've had all of our energy spent. Um, It means when we've seen failure. It means when we haven't seen signs of change. And God, uh, God loves us like that. So... The question that I have um, for us as a church is what, situ- what situations is God speaking to you as we read through his definition of love? What situations is he speaking to you about? We talk about um, bearing. Is God, is there, is there a situation right now where um, you just don't know whether you can bear it? You're not sure whether you can bear it. You're not sure whether you can operate in good faith, whether you can really trust someone's motives. You're not sure how you would refuse to rejoice in something others are rejoicing in, but you know is not righteous, you know is not good. So as we've we've gone through these verses, you know, just... My encouragement would be, um, how is God speaking to you about love? And in what areas is God calling you to love? And as I, as I started, my challenge is not then to put it on your, your whiteboard and, you know, treat it like push-ups. It, it is go to God and, and, and confess um, our need for more of his love. Confess our need for an understanding of, of why he would be calling us to do this. Why would I be called to do this when this is not what I, what, not what I learned from the world? I wanted to close um, reading from 1 Peter chapter 1. I think Peter had a lot of these same things in mind here. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter says, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, so in the promise of eternal life, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. Now there is, you're being asked to bear trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls." 
No, th th this is the, the hope. This is what we're looking to. And this is how we can love like God loves. Even when we have trials, and we have bad intent, and we have unrighteousness, is because we are looking forward to the promise and the hope of being with him forever. Obtaining the outcome of our faith. And you know, God put us together with that common hope to define us. That is why we are together. We're together because we believe that for us in our salvation, Jesus came from heaven to save us. That's why God put us together. That's what he put us together for. And we can have great hope that the one who put us together, who assembled this group of people based on the hope of salvation in Christ, that we can embody his love. We can be people that look like him and love like him and rejoice in the things that he rejoices in. Because that's, that's who we are. I'd like to pray to close us. God, we thank you for your love. And God, I pray that you would fill us with your love, that you would give us a new vision of your love for each one of us and those that have struggled to believe that you love us. I pray, God, that it would overwhelm us, your love would overwhelm us, and that the hope that we have to see you one day would help us, God, to love when it's difficult. We pray, God, that our, our, our church, City of Refuge, would be a light shining the love of Christ. And we pray this in your name.